This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's a Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Thanks for joining us. The Reds up and running in Europe then as focus now returns to the Premier League. Mane, a man on a mission as he looks to hit the 100 against Palace. And just four games into the new season, it's Pep Guardiola's insecurities already getting the better of him. We'll have all of that, plus our team selector and match predictions to come with our Liverpool correspondent, Tool Paul Gorse, the Chief, Ian Doyle, and the O Squires. Gents, I hope you're all well. Gorsley, come to you first up. Obviously, at Anfield in midweek for the return of Champions League action and and what an occasion it was in an atmosphere for the Reds to play in. Yeah, massively missed, wasn't it? It was a um, bit of a throwback to those days of 17-18 when Liverpool kind of flew out the traps with the wind and the sails from the, from the crowd and looked like they were going to put Milan to the sword within 15-20 minutes. Uh, I think when... Mohamed Salah missed that penalty and Liverpool already won the up. There was um, almost a bit of a collective shrug, as though, oh, well, we're flying here anyway, we're still going to beat these quite comfortably. And just before the penalty, I had Theo and Doyle to me left and me right, and I think I just kind of turned to Theo and said, this is going to be about 4 0 list. They're absolutely battering them. 14 shots in the first half. Um, didn't kind of overly trouble the goalkeeper he made a really good save from the penalty and was obviously wrong-footed with the own goal but there wasn't too many great saves from the keeper it was all kind of last ditch tackles and blocks and uh, made a couple of, of half decent saves but Liverpool was just massively on top weren't they and then around about the 35 minute mark 40 minute mark Milan kind of sensed the way back into it and caught Liverpool cold you know two in two minutes and come out of nowhere so um Liverpool had to kind of roll back the years and dig into the reserves and metal character that we know that they used to be famous for and showed that they haven't lost all of it and managed to turn it around. And yeah, it was great, really. You know, 18 months without fans being in the ground with a massive European night. You know, me and Dolly were there for the Michelin game when, when Liverpool's Champions League campaign got underway at Anfield, what was it, 11 months ago? And it was just a world away from that cold, dark, Bit of a slog of a night, um, just completely different atmosphere. So, um, yeah, looking forward to Porto and Atletico visiting now. Midjuland, not the kind of theme park that you want to visit again, then it, it doesn't sound like that. Can we not do that joke, please? Can we please stop <laughs> that joke? Thank you, <laughs> Doily. It's offensive, it's offensive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, 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 Doily. Uh, watching the game myself and sort of seeing the score as it was at half time threw me back to the the last time fans were in for a Champions League game against Atletico Madrid, where Liverpool played so well, but ended up losing. And sort of was beginning to think to myself, surely this isn't going to happen again. And I suppose learnt lessons maybe from that Atletico game. And still plenty for, for Jurgen Klopp to take in terms of making sure that Liverpool do really push home advantages when they are on top, because they weren't quite able to do that in that, that opening 20 minutes. Well, it was, it was down to the fact that they missed a penalty. You can't get much better chance than actually having a penalty, you know, three shots at goal. So, I mean, yeah, I agree. I mean, if that had gone in, Liverpool would have won about 4-0 easily. Maybe 4-1, maybe Milan would have got in, in towards the end. But they just didn't look anywhere near it. And they, they kind of, I know Ghosty said they had 14 shots in the first half. I think I'm right in saying 13 of them were up until just the head of the Jota for the rebound. And then after that, they only had one more that half. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I thought... 
actually Liverpool kind of were affected a little bit by missing the pen. Certainly Salah was. He seemed to be trying too hard for the rest of the first half. And I know we'll come on to him in a bit and what he ended up doing. But just overall, I think Liverpool just, yeah, they were they, they took the foot off, didn't they? Klopp said it, didn't he? In the midfield, they were, the positioning wasn't quite right for 15 minutes towards the end of the first half. And he got asked after the game. He said, did you see? He said, well, actually, to be honest, we saw it coming. So we were quite keen to get them in at half time. And unfortunately for Liverpool, they conceded twice. They were, they were a bit too fairly well worked gold for Milan you know let's, let's be honest I know we spoke about them on the podcast on Monday and I said that okay they're not the Milan of old but they're better than people are thinking and I think we kind of got an idea for that I mean they're a very young team um, and they'll learn from it I was surprised when I found out that was their first game of the Champions League for seven years so that you know that kind of tells you where they've been and we know from experience with Liverpool is that when you have a long spell out with the Champions League it can take a while a couple of years to get back especially if Think like what happened with Liverpool in 2014. You have one season where it just doesn't go well, and you're not seen again for a few years. Don't think that'll happen to this Milan team. I think the good thing for Liverpool is you would imagine they might take points off the other teams as well. So, in in, in all in all, you always want to be winning your first game, especially at home in these groups. And, and Liverpool managed it. And at the end, I don't think anybody could argue with the fact it was a deserved result. Yeah, also, I think the first time since Atletico had Portsmouth in their group in the Europa League in, I'm going to say, 2009-10, that they've had an English side in a European group with them. So, uh, yeah, that's an, another one just to uh, to note down. But, uh, Theo, in terms that of... real GC. That's what I mean. <laughs> in terms of uh, players who, who stuck out, Joel Matip's sort of level of performance just seems to be rising more and more as the, the season's going on for Liverpool. And, Surely it's time, I suppose, people outside of the Liverpool bubble actually sort of sat up and took notice of just how good he is. He isn't just the guy who stands alongside Virgil van Dijk. He's a proper elite-level centre-half in his own right. Well, he's always gone on runs like this where he's been in incredible form and then he just gets stopped in his tracks by injury. And that's why it's always been a case of Virgil van Dijk is your first choice and whoever's there, be it Matip, Gomez, uh, Lovren, they were the ones to pick up the pieces. And it just seems that Matip, he's hitting this top form at the time when uh, Liverpool need it because the attention's on Van Dijk coming back from injury. You think he might be a potential weak link and then the pressure's on Matip to really step up and be a leader. But that is the role he had before his injury last year where he needed to be the leader in this defence when he was playing alongside midfielders or younger players. And we, we know what he's capable of. We know how big a fan Jurgen Klopp is of him. It's just if he can stay fit, like he can be playing as well as he is now. But can any of us say, hand on heart, he won't suffer an injury and be out for a month in the next two weeks? That, that He's just got that cloud over his head. But you can say the same about a navigator, for example. This could be the year that they can shrug off that tag and be injury free and make the place their own. And what, I think it's about time he did get the credit he deserves. But then at the same time, I suppose strikers are finding out a hard way when you're going up against him. Like, look at Lukaku, for example. You think, oh, it's going to be a tough night against Van Dijk. I'll target Matip a bit in that Chelsea game. But he only really turned him once. Joel Matip had his had him in the back pocket for most of the game. And it's why Liverpool's defence has been so good in the Premier League for the majority, because they've got that stability back of that partnership of Matip and Van Dijk, the partnership that won the Champions League. And it's uh, no coincidence that defence was maybe not at its strongest when you took Van Dijk out of it and you put Joe Gomez in. It's not a slant against Joe Gomez at all, but it's just one of those where you need that stability. And thankfully, when Joel Matip's fit, that's what he provides. Yeah, Theo mentioned there, Naby Keita and drawing comparison, maybe, because I thought the, the two players, Matip and, and Keita, were 
poles apart in terms of level of performance. I can't remember a player as underappreciated by the, the wider sort of football public, as it were, than Joel Matip. But Naby Keita, every time it seemed that he, he had the ball in the midfield, he seems to have lost that dynamism that he had when he first came in, that ability to just kind of get around the ground and, and get past people. I thought it was part of the reason maybe he was brought off in Madrid all that time ago. And again, on sort of in midweek, he just didn't look as though he had the beating of his midfield man every time the ball was just kind of going back to the centre-halves and it was was Matip who was building the, the play from deep. Yeah, I think he's I think he's being asked to, to do that, to be honest. I think he's, he's being asked to play a little bit more of a... A genie wine album role, if you like, rather than just go and play a natural game, go and have a run at them, try and unsettle them. It's very much now about keeping the ball, recycling it, maybe getting it out wide if you can. Um, that seems to be very much more a, a theme of the game. It's something I noticed back, back in the Norwich game, actually, and he played against Burnley as well, I think, and, and um, hasn't been back on the team since, I don't think, but... I think I think he's made a solid start to the season. Um, not a whole lot more he could do than what he has done already, and maybe a little bit of a victim of circumstance with Klopp keen to get Harvey Elliott into the team. Um, I still think uh, you mentioned the, the Madrid game there when he got brought off before half time. I, I thought the writing was on the wall for him. Really, you know, after that, I think it possibly could have been an exit had it been a, a normal summer, if you like, and teams were willing to loosen the pair strings a little bit more, particularly in. Countries like Germany, where he's still got massively high stock, but um, he's still here and, and he's contributing, and I think he's playing a little bit of a of a different game. To be honest, it'd be interesting to maybe you know take a closer look at, at the statistics for that. But um, it does seem as though he's being asked to be a little bit more restrained and, and sensible with the ball at his feet, and just keep it a bit more simple in the in the way Wijnaldum did for so many years. Yeah, there was a time ever that Liverpool needed Naby Keita. Doyle, is it now with obviously the injury to Harvey Elliott? Is he going to all of a sudden need to be able to keep his fitness levels up and actually be a man to to be relied upon by Jurgen Klopp? Well, I, I thought Keita did all right, actually. I oh, thought Keita did all right, and I thought that Matip had probably his least effective game of the entire season. He was at fault for one of the goals, so you could argue about that. So you know, it's like it's you know, football is a game of opinions. Um, but in terms of Cater, I think I think we've gone to be perfectly honest, and we've said this before on the podcast, we've gone beyond the whole can Cater make it at Liverpool thing. It's gone now. Yeah. That's gone. Now it's just what can he actually do? And I think as Gorsty said, his role's changed slightly, certainly for that game. And I think um Harvey Elliott wasn't gonna play every single game anyway. I think he was just kept in partly because he was obviously in such a good vein of form. Um I think Cater's gonna get his games. I think we've seen that already. I mean, he played five and he started three of them. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. So if you'd have said that, uh, you know, after when he got subbed at, just before half time against Real Madrid in April, you said that he'd start the three of the first five games, you'd think, what are you on about? But Liverpool have won, what, four of those five, four of the first five games. So I think, as I say, he, he'll, he'll be there if he keeps his fitness. There's no reason for him not to be involved. He's got, he paid an awful lot of money for him. But more importantly, is that he knows exactly what the manager wants. He can he can do the, a number of different roles from the same position, as it were, and the other players know what to expect. And as I said, I thought he I thought he pressed quite well in the first half. I know that he was one of the players that went missing for the for the two uh, the two goals that, that Milan scored just before half time. But he wasn't alone, and that was more of a collective failure than anything else. And you know, I, I don't think we should be making a big deal of his performance, to be honest. 
Fair enough. I, I just sort of felt maybe lacking that dynamism, but take the, the point you and Gorsley made there, maybe that was the role he was asked to do for the team, but wasn't sure if it was maybe kind of injuries catching up on him finally and just didn't seem to have that, that spring that he once did. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We'll move on. Let's react to Jurgen Klopp's press conference. I'll, I'll come back to you, Gorsley, and sort of go straight in on Mohamed Salah because Jurgen Klopp was asked about the Egyptians' future and his contract situation and was kind of asked if it was going to be similar to, to Jordan Henderson's, which he was asked about in a press conference, kind of batted it away. And not too long later, the uh, extension was confirmed. Where are we with Mohamed Salah? Yeah, I mean, um, I don't think... The journalist asking the question was expecting Jürgen Klopp to go, oh, well, you know, we had talks last week and it's all gone swimmingly and he's going to sign next week, five-year deal. But it's sometimes it's about what he doesn't say um, when questions are put to him like that. But he, he did just kind of play the straight bat, didn't he? You know, which, which probably indicates that there's nothing really on the horizon. I think when he said something about Henderson recently, it was um, almost an admission that, yeah, it's all done and dusted. And lo and behold, about 10 days later, it was being confirmed by the club. Um, so it, it would appear to be that, um, you know, it, it was as you were. You know, Liverpool will be desperate to tie him down. And, and I asked Klopp a question on Tuesday for the Champions League press conference about Salah. You know, can he play into his 30s like the likes of Lewandowski and Messi and Ronaldo and Ibrahimovic are, are all doing and, and have done? And he, he said he, he fancies him to kind of follow suit. So if that would be the case, then you'd imagine Mohamed Salah is going to be, you know, at the peak of his powers for another four, five years, you know, at least. Um, so why wouldn't Liverpool want to be the beneficiaries of that? So, um, yeah, I do think um, it probably breaking new ground for Liverpool, given a 29-year-old such a valuable contract. But this is... A player who's broken new ground, you know, in so many ways in terms of what he's done for the club over the last four years. So um, I do expect it to be done, but um, judging from Klopp's response today, I don't think it's uh, anything imminent. Theo, I know you were happy to put your, your head above the parapet, as it were, regarding Genie Wijnaldum 14 months or so before his contract ended, saying... Yeah, I think this is going to be like Emre Chan and the situation with that. Obviously, Mohamed Salah is a very different player to, to those two in what he means for Liverpool. But at what point do you get anxious that actually this is dragging on a bit longer than Liverpool would want to? Um, it's a hard one because of the market we're in. Like We're seeing these elite stars see out their contracts. Like Kylian Mbappe is probably going to go on a free transfer to Real Madrid. We're seeing uh, Messi go on that free transfer to PSG when Barcelona obviously wanted to keep him and it was just finances stopping it. But clubs can't afford the big transfer fees and it's one with Salah. Well, if he wants to move on, then free transfer is probably the best opportunity for him. And he knows now he's, what, 29. This contract is going to be the most lucrative of his career. It's going to be his final years at the top. It's a case of whether he chooses to spend those years at Liverpool or if he wants to go and do it elsewhere. I think it might have been... um, Pep Guardiola, one of the top managers, when they were saying about Ronaldo, you don't choose if you can sign him. They come to you. These players, that's what happens. So it's going to be part of that, isn't it, with Salah? He's going to choose if he wants to stay and then Liverpool will work out if they can actually afford a deal or not. With Genie Wijnaldum, it was before the pandemic. It was before we had all this confusion over contracts and the finances were tighter and you could see him going. Whereas with Mohamed Salah, you think, well, where's he going to go? 
it's going to be a case of having to bide his time and making that right decision. I think Messi signed, what, a two-year contract. So if he did want to leave, you could see him maybe going at the end of his deal and just replacing Messi when he goes on the end of his deal. But we've seen Barcelona a mess, Real Madrid are a mess, Juventus the, just let Ronaldo go on the cheap to um, United to get him off the wage bill. He's not going to go to any of the big Premier League teams because of his Liverpool pedigree. And then it's just, well, Bayern Munich, granted, they might have an opening if Lewandowski goes. But you might as well just stay at Liverpool if they can afford your wage. The only thing for Salah there is he is not going to be, even if he signs a new contract and he is the highest earner in the club's history, it's not going to be on the sort of figures that a Messi's getting, Neymar's getting, and Mbappe's getting, De Bruyne, Ronaldo. Like some of these players are on half a million a week. Liverpool aren't going to pay that. The fact that they've got most of the players, the top players, on around the 200k mark, if you believe what the reports are out there, you can't put Salah on millions more than that in a year. So it's one where well, when do they take their time? What do they do with it? Liverpool won't want to get to six months to go and then realise that he's not going to stay and they risk losing him for free. But at the same time, if he is going to go, it's going to be a case of, you'd imagine with Klopp, you're going to get better for that last year of his contract. You would rather keep him and get the very best from his abilities and just take the hit. Liverpool have had to do that in the past. It just so happens that Salah is one of those few sellable assets if there are teams out there that can actually afford him. But at this stage, I think would say you'd still expect them to sign a new deal. You'll still expect them to find some sort of compromise there and might take a little while longer than Jordan Edson's contract did. But he's still scoring goals for fun at Liverpool. He's still going to be challenging for trophies at Liverpool. He's in the right club. He's at the right time of his career. It would suit all parties to get a deal done at some point in the next year. Yeah, well, Chad's got in touch with us whilst we're recording and live on YouTube, Dolly. He says, give Salah what he wants. Does it matter so much about these other clubs and whether or not their finances are in place? Surely, given how important he is, four goals in the five games, he, he scored against Burnley, but it, it was offside. Surely there's no player as important to this team maybe than Mohamed Salah. No, we've said that loads of times before, haven't we? He'll end up being, if he stays, he'll end up being the highest paid player. And I don't think any of the other players will mind too much. It's a weird one for us. Obviously, we're all journalists and get paid next to nothing by comparison. So you do wonder, what's the difference between £300,000 a week and £350,000 a week in terms of what you put? Then that's to do with the ego, isn't it? And how much you think you're worth compared to the other footballers. And, well, obviously, the all footballers have got a bit of an ego. don't necessarily think Salah's got an absolutely massive one. I think if he gets a, a wage that isn't on a par with, say, De Bruyne or one of Man City's other top players, I don't think he'll be massively disappointed with that because I think it's also about enjoyment and you can't say he doesn't enjoy being at Liverpool you just have to see you know a bit was made wasn't it last was it last season or the season before where he didn't see they thought oh he's not celebrating a goal because of this that and the other but now you look at him I mean go watch the highlights from the game uh on Wednesday night when Henderson puts that one in he's watching it he's up in the air arms up in the air you know going crazy so Salah's been like that for quite some time for Liverpool, so I don't necessarily think there's going to be any kind of a Klopp said it, didn't he? He's not questioning his commitment at all. You know, still got two years to run. I agree with Theo. If they don't if they don't agree a deal, if I was Liverpool, I'd just keep him for the remainder. Because then you're going to get two years of quite clearly what I believe, genuinely believe, is the best player in the world at the moment, certainly on form. So why would you not want to keep him? You don't have to sell him. This is the other thing. Liverpool don't have to sell him. They don't have to sell anybody. They don't have to. So they've got all these. You got the best goal, one of the best goalkeepers in the world, one of the best defenders, one of the best right backs, one of the best left backs, the best defensive midfielder, one of the best forwards. And I think sometimes the fans need to, the ones who are, you know, worrying a little bit, just have to take a step back and look and go, "Hang on, we've got all these players." And yeah, they're not going to go on forever, 
but certainly for the next couple of years, they're going to be here and then we can build from that. And I think with Salah's obviously been, he's probably been sent another message and the other message is that, well, all these players are still going to be here. So why don't you? You know, they're all still, all those players that you love playing with and have won stuff with and a lot of them still have got quite a few years left in their careers. Why not just stick with them? You might go somewhere else for a new challenge. That's fine. He's played in Italy already with Roma. As Theo said, he's not going to go to Barcelona. I mean, Real Madrid... He just... also doesn't need to be focused about what you were saying before about kind of the, the next players coming in. Because at the end of the day, the players who are right at the top of the game and best in their positions, as you've mentioned before, are the players in similar, other than Trent, age bracket to him. Well, and therefore... They're all yeah. in their do, prime do, together. Do you think that Barcelona, when Messi got to 29, were thinking, yeah, we better start thinking of selling it? Yeah. <laughs> of course they didn't. Because they, they didn't at all. I mean, Real Madrid did with Juvent, uh, with Ronaldo. But then how much did you bridge Juventus play for him? Was it like 108 million or something stupid yeah, like that? It was a Chelsea lot. Chelsea did the same with Hazard, didn't they? Yeah, it was a lot yeah. of money. Um, you know, Real Madrid, are, I personally think, are very different. I think if they get into financial trouble, they'll just somehow magically find a way of just getting some money. It's, you know, they've got their own little ways and means there that perhaps Barcelona haven't. And that's something that's far beyond the remit of this podcast. Um, but, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, but, but going back to Salah, ultimately it's down to him. I think if Liverpool get an absolutely massive offer for him next summer, and he hasn't signed a deal by them, by the way, then there might be a conversation to be had or a decision to be made. But if not, they'll just keep him for the remainder of his deal. And then they'll have paid... 30, what was it? 30, maybe just over 40 million overall in 2017 for a player that they got six years out of, who for at least four years of that would have been one of the best players in the world. That could be the best business they've ever done. I, I, I do think there's a bit of a bit of a change in football though these days. You know, the, the top stars now keep themselves in incredible shape. It's not like 10, 15, 20 years ago where they let themselves go during the summer and then had to build that fitness back up and we're looking on retiring somewhere between 31 and 33. You look at Messi now, he's, he doesn't rely on any kind of physicality too much because he's, you know, he's got given talents. But he's, he'll be 35 in May, I think. Cristiano Ronaldo, it's obviously well documented that he's 36. He's still scoring goals in the Premier League. Lewandowski is 33. He's still probably the best number nine in the world. Slatsy Mihic is 40 in two weeks. He's still in the Champions League with AC Milan and, and their main man. Uh, Jordan Henderson's 30, he's, he's still one of the fittest midfielders in the Premier League, captain of Liverpool. So I do think that the 29-30 mark is not quite the age that it once was, you know, a few few years ago. And, and I think Klopp said recently that that age means that you're now pretty much at your peak. So if you're looking at that, then you've got the likes of um, Salah and Van Dijk and Mane all in their peak years. Fabinho a couple of years younger than that, I think um, there's still... Plenty of mileage left in the tank for this Liverpool squad and certainly Mohamed Salah. Going in on that, we're adding that, what, 35 to the new 30 when you're looking for these elite players, the way they're carrying on. But the one concern you'd have maybe had about Salah in the past is how long does the pace last? How long until his legs start to lose that explosive burst? But then he's such a good finisher. If he does actually lose his pace at any point, you just put him up front. It's what Ronaldo's done, isn't it, over the past decade? And he's still not slow, is he? He's still a fairly quick player. But it might just be a case of Salah has to change his game if he gets older and there is a slight drop. But even if it, whatever league he is in, he is going to score goals. He is that sort of player now. And he might end up just being a striker. He might go deep and be a number 10. He's one of those players you can play anywhere in those attacking positions, do whatever he wants with the ball. 
He's a world-class player. Liverpool fans, just enjoy him while you can. Because I think Carragher said it on Monday Night Football. When he retires, you'll really appreciate how good a player he was because he is making that right wing slot in Liverpool's all-time eleven his own. When you think of the players that you put in that team, like a Barnes, a Rush, a Hansen, to say that one of the current players is right in there when you're not really appreciating how good he is because of how good the whole team is in comparison to, say, Steven Gerrard 10 years ago, just says how much he's achieving in this Liverpool team at the moment. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Time then to look ahead now to the weekend's action and reaction elsewhere around the Premier League. And Theo, I'll, I'll come back to you regarding this. Pep Guardiola, after their Champions League win in midweek over Leipzig, was talking about how he wanted more fans at the Etihad for their game with Southampton this weekend. He was asked about it to clarify in his press conference today and basically said around saying, I don't want to be Liverpool. And even offered, I think tongue-in-cheek, his resignation if the fans don't like him, and that's the reason they're not going to these games, that he would resign and walk away. Now, We've seen the start of the Premier League. Chelsea, Liverpool and Manchester United have only dropped two points each so far. City have already lost so far this campaign. Is it the cracks beginning to appear for the Man City manager? We know he he doesn't deal with pressure all too well sometimes. Um, I suppose you could argue that either way, can't you? It depends how he's really feeling under the stress. I think there's been question marks over his job, hasn't there, as well? Not in the fact that he's going to lose any time soon, but the fact that he's happy to go at the end of his contract. He, he wants a break from the game. And I imagine he's going to feel the pressure in this title race too, because it's not just a case of you're up against a good Liverpool team. Now you are actually up against a good United team and a good Chelsea team. But then it's too early to say cracks are showing because City normally do this, don't they? They start not slowly, but they'll lose the odd game and then they'll just have a sensational second half of the season winning every single week and they'll win the title. Um, It's happened, what, two times in the last four years? One before that, when since they were Centurions. It's just... It's a very good team. You think that little dig there about Liverpool, well, he knows that's going to go down well with his fan base, doesn't it? He's trying to get fans in the stadium. So what do you do? You have a go at your rivals. You have a little dig at Liverpool. You have a little dig at United. Um, It's all very well saying, though, you don't want to be Liverpool or United. But City, if they weren't for United there, they'd easily have that same global appeal, wouldn't they, across the planet? It's just because they're in United's shadow and it would take a hell of a lot of dominance to take that place. If Guardiola keeps doing his job, wins a couple of Champions League, keeps winning the Premier League titles, then, like it or not, they will be a Liverpool United in a few years to come. But it's one of those, isn't it? He's, he's always going to say weird things in the press because he'll score points out of it. But yeah, it's too early to say he's rattled. It's only a few games in. He's only a point behind. Yeah, it is fascinating though, Dolly, isn't it? Even kind of last weekend, watching how it all played out with all those games on the Saturday in Liverpool on the, the Sunday, that it is a case of, it feels even now, any points dropped are so crucial. And Jurgen Klopp even referenced it himself in his press conference today, talking about how difficult the league is, that you don't want to be dropping points at any stage of the season, whether it be the run-in, whether it be the start, or whether it be mid-season. No, but they're going to. They're all going to drop, I think they'll drop loads of points, all of them, to be honest. Maybe, maybe. There's always just two teams that end up getting a bit further ahead than anybody else. And this season may end up just being one, to be perfectly to be perfectly blunt, depending on who it is. Um Going back to, to, to Guardiola, I don't think he's had a meltdown. I don't think he's had a meltdown at all, to be honest. They don't really have a problem. If you're a City fan who went the game on Wednesday, I'd imagine you'd be quite annoyed at what he said. And 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 a City fan who then, for obvious reasons, couldn't go, whether it's because, you know, money's tight or coronavirus or whatever have you. But, and City don't have the, 
you know, City are not Liverpool, correct? Liverpool are not City and City aren't Liverpool because City don't have the history of this Champions League. You know, there's there's been very few games, <clears throat> certainly since Liverpool got back in the Champions League under Jurgen Klopp, that they weren't full stadiums for every single, um, well, when fans were allowed in, for every single Champions League game. Same for United, same for Chelsea, I thought. City, it's, it's a bit different. They've got this kind of love-hate relationship with, with UEFA and the Champions League. Presume probably because they haven't won it yet. I mean, it, probably if they'd have won the final in last May or whenever it was, June, they'll have changed the tune a little bit. But I don't really have a problem with what he said. Yeah, City, City were in the lower leagues. Yeah, Liverpool and United don't want to be in the lower leagues, so it's just as well that they're not like that. You know, you know, guy, you're an Arsenal fan. You'd rather not see Arsenal get relegated this season. Although there's a good, there seems yes. to be a chance yeah. that that could be happening. Mm -hmm. See what I mean? So you don't you don't really want to be like that. You know, and City fans are different for that very reason. I actually quite like them. I quite like City fans, the ones who've been there, stuck with them, you know, down, down into the third division that we're getting 30,000 or whatever it was, you know, crowds for those games. So... I didn't really have a problem with it. I don't think it's a sign of him cracking up. I just think it's in the sign saying, come on, we, we need your support because we look at these other stadiums and see other fans all turning up. And if you can, could you please come along and watch us because we're going to need a bit, bit of help? Don't see a problem with it. I think he had a big chance to nip it in the bud today, didn't he? And he seemed to have doubled down on it. And he said he wasn't apologising to Keith Parker, is it? The secretary of the Manchester City fan group. Um, I just think it was a bit tone deaf from Guardiola kind of demanding more supporters at a time when Manchester, like Liverpool, is a thoroughly working-class city and people have been hit by the pandemic, been on furlough, lost jobs, probably can't afford um, £40 a week to go to, or twice a week to go to the Premier League game and a Champions League game. And let's face it, you know, this isn't banter, it's not a dig or a jab, but Manchester City aren't a massive club. They're a rich club, but there's a difference between being a big one and, and a rich one. They don't have an endless carousel of fans waiting to take the seat of someone who doesn't turn up, like the way Liverpool do and Manchester United do. Uh, and as Dodie says, that has been forged over decades and decades of, of history, you know, domestically and in Europe. City haven't, haven't got that. They, I think they won the first trophy under the current regime in 2011, was it? The FA Cup. And then they've gone on since then. They've, they've won quite a lot, obviously, but it's only 10 years. Um, it was only 13 years since they, they got completely bought out and transformed and pretty much reset their entire history. So um, I think Guardiola is a little bit tone deaf on that one. And of course, he wanted to be packed out every game. And, you know, there are the jokes to fly around as a result of City not being able to always fill the, the Etihad. But um, it, it just goes back to the fact that they're not a massive club and, you know, probably won't be able to do that for years and years. That's still a big crowd. It's not yeah, exactly that, a small crowd, is it? No, that's what I thought. Gorsi, I thought you were going to make the joke there about the, the stadium reference when you said there's that joke and then your, your professionalism shining through as ever. Uh, but let's talk about yeah. Liverpool then. Yeah, <laughs> okay. what, what joke's this guy? You've got no professionalism coming. What is it? Oh, well, <laughs> right. Let's move on. <laughs> I mean, you, nearly, you nearly got me to You nearly got me. Uh, right. Crystal Palace to take on Liverpool this weekend at Anfield. Doily, what were you expecting from Palace? Because they've had so much change during the summer. They didn't start before the international break all too well and, and then beat Spurs 3-0 last weekend. I have to be honest, I've not seen any of Crystal Palace this season. Not seen any of them, but judging from the results, I'll, and also I'll be perfectly honest, to be fair, I did see the penalty that they scored against Tottenham and I actually thought the game had finished 1-0. It was only about five hours later. Somebody said, 
Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> for, for anybody, for anybody listening and not watching, the, uh, the the answer to the joke or the jive has just popped up on screen. So thank you very much, whoever contributed that. Um, go back to go back to Palace. Yeah, go to Palace. I, I didn't realise that they won three 0 and by all accounts, from speaking to other people, is that they played really well when it was eleven v eleven anyway. And I think there has been a kind of shift from what people, from what I can make out, for, away from the more safety first football under Roy Hodgson to what they're playing now under Patrick Vieira. Patrick Vieira. They've got one or two new players. Obviously, they've got the lad up front who's uh, Liverpool were linked with, and I know one or two Liverpool fans went off on one. He scored twice last week, but you know, you can't sign everybody, um, and he'll be one to look out for. But yeah, you know, they've got quite a few decent players. I mean, there'll be Ben Tech, he'll be out, wasn't he, to, to prove a point. And he normally, when he does play against Liverpool, he, he's a bit of an issue, which is, we'll get onto the teams in a bit, but another reason why I think Van Dijk will be back in. But yeah, Palace will be, they'll be a lot less compliant than they were on the final day of last season, where even then they still went clean through and Andros Townsend put one wide when it was nil-nil. I think, I think it was nil-nil. Um, so yeah, it will be not easy. I can't see Liverpool winning 7-0, as they did at Sellers Park last December. Um, I think it's going to be another one of those Anfield games where you just got to slog the way through. And if they do get the nose ahead, as we've mentioned previously, it's a it's a matter of actually taking advantage of that and, and giving themselves a little bit of an advantage and making think life a bit easier for themselves because they've been doing things slightly the hard way this season. Theo, do you expect to see a bit of rotation? We're obviously going to get onto our team shortly, but do you reckon this is going to be a chance? I don't think many of us saw much rotation for the, the AC Milan game and then maybe this and the, the cup game with, with Norwich in midweek, an opportunity for a bit of rotation. But obviously, Jurgen Klopp's already begun to shuffle the pack somewhat with that selection against Milan. Yeah, I'd say so. And with um, the League Cup game next up, it's a chance to give all the players a rest in these games. Obviously, uh Mane and Van Dijk, they sat out against Milan. Um, imagine one of the front three could potentially sit out on this one and then another one against uh, Norwich. could be the same in midfield. There are players there who want game time. You think the opening day of the season, the midfield was what? Milner, Oxley, chamberlain Cater. So well, not really seen much of two of them since then. So it's a case of they've actually got the bodies at the disposal this season. They don't have the long injury list. So Jürgen Klopp can rotate his options and he can keep all the bodies fresh. And then it's just a case of which players he wants to go. None of us saw Divock Origi starting, for example. And I think Van Dijk being benched was a, a bit of a surprise as well. But then it would make sense when he's just coming back from that long-term injury. You don't want him playing three times a week, every week. You need to rest your players. So, But then Joel Matip, he's just come back from a long-term injury as well. So could he drop out here? Or is it one where you save Gomez and Canate for the League Cup game? Uh, you've still got Minamino there. There's so many options. You'd imagine that Jurgen Klopp is very happy to have these options and be able to rotate as long as he can do because he doesn't want a repeat of last season where it's just the same 11 every week because they need to be as stable as possible just to get in the top four. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Time to pick our team then. Let's get into it. Alison Becker in goal. Gorsty, you can go up first, back four. What are you What are you thinking? Uh, I'm not sure Matip starts, actually. Um, I think obviously playing Sunday and on Wednesday, be a little bit wary of, of putting them through the ringer again for, for the third game in a week. You know, he's obviously had his injury problem. So possibly um, a day for Ibrahim McAnati to, to make his... Premier League debut alongside Virgil van Dijk and Andy Robertson at left-back. Doyle, what are you saying about the, the back four? 
<clears throat> well, Matip hasn't played three games a, in a week since September 2019, um, which was that long ago. We used to actually do podcasts while sat next to each other. Remember then? That was weird, Whoa. wasn't it? Well, that was, that's, it's never going to catch on, is it? Yeah. Anyway. I sat next um, to Gorsley when I did one in midweek. Does that count? He wasn't No, camera, not really, but... because, you know, we, <laughs> we, 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 to be fair, me, me Guy and Gorsley did one while stood up. Stood yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In the same <laughs> same space. Yeah, so it, that was uh, that was quite nice actually. Yeah, yeah it was quite silly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, I actually agree 100 percent on on what uh, on the PG tip for the defence. I think Canati uh, will come in. Matic will play. Van Dijk will play. I think just looking slightly further ahead, I think Nat Phillips will play against Norwich, and I think possibly Gomez in that one as well. So I think you're now looking at. Jurgen Klopp said, didn't he? I think it was after the Burnley game where he was talking about we're going to have to start rotating them once we get back after the international break. And that's what they'll do. I think Robertson's left back for this one just about and Trent right back. Are you going to complete the set, Theo? I was thinking more safe Canate for Norwich and be Gomez in this one. But the rest of it's the same. OK, what about the, the midfield then, Theo? You can go with that. Well... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I've got to remember who's fit here. So Fabinho's going to start, isn't he? And you'd imagine Thiago will come back in. And then it's... You could see Jordan Henderson start in this one. And then it'll be James Milner captain for the League Cup game. So, yeah, maybe we'll actually see the, the A-list trio for this one. You go along with that, Gorsley? Yeah, I think so. Um, Klopp and believe today that when he found out that he's only played that midfield three once and then he obviously asked what game it was and puffed out his cheeks and said well there was a reason for them only playing once if that was the game against Everton last year when obviously Thiago got injured for, for three months as a result um, he made a point of talking about the kind of midfield triangle down the right with Salah, Trent and Harvey Elliott and then he, he mentioned about Henderson filling in doing that similar type of job quite well so I'd imagine it is going to be Henderson and Fabinho's an absolute must now, isn't he? And, uh, and then I think Thiago, yeah. Yeah, a bit of a different dynamic, isn't it, between Elliot and Henderson? Yeah. Elliot yeah. goes a lot wider, doesn't he? It allows Trent to push up. But anyway, Doyle, your thoughts on the, the midfield? Um, I think Fabinho has to play. I think Thiago will definitely play. The only question is over Henderson. Um, Henderson or Thiago. Uh, sorry, Henderson or Case, I should say. And... I'll probably go with Henderson because he's not going to play against Norwich. Yeah, and, and Cater didn't play well in, in midweek as we. He was okay. He was all right. He was okay. <laughs> Stop picking on him. Stop picking on him. People don't like it. Uh, well. I'll, I'll come back to you, uh, front three. Um, see that we laugh when I say a Riga Minamino, but it could easily happen yeah. now. Um, yeah, we'll on Monday, won't we? Yeah, Minamino scored against Palace last year. Um, I think. Well, I think it'll be Mane, Jota, and Salah. And I think possibly one of them might play against Norwich. If that, I think. I tell, before we go any further, I would like to say I thought Curtis Jones did quite well when he came on. And it's interesting. I do think that he possibly could be. I did an interview with Steve McManaman last week, looking out of the at the Champions League uh, games, and he said he wanted to see Curtis Jones played a bit more further forward, and he could become another option, say wide left, because he's played there a few times. Certainly played there a lot for the under twenty threes when he yeah. started to make an impact in the uh, the UEFA Youth League, actually. Which, uh, by the way, the the young lads did quite well to beat Milan one nil. Uh, Max Waltman scored the goal. They were not very good in the second half in terms of keeping the ball, but they defended very well. And uh, Paolo Maldini was there. I didn't even see him. Didn't even notice till I got back and saw the pictures the following day. I was like, all oh, right, sat there with me. Didn't didn't get onto. To be fair, he didn't say hello. 
He, he comes very rude of him. He spotted me. Um, but yeah, I do think it'll be Salamana and Jota down the middle. Any any objection to that, guys? I'm no, going. No, I'll be going first. Yeah, I just only think risk it. Um, I think that will be the front of me. I'd go for Minamino, partly because he scored against Palace um, last year. But you think, well, Mane dropped out and we didn't see it coming against Milan. Salah's not going to play against Norwich. So when Firmino's still injured, this one sort of makes sense for the one for Jota to drop out. And Origi's had a go. Let's see what Minamino can do. Is there not a potential, though, that both Jota and Salah miss the Norwich game and Jones plays in, in the forward line? We've still got options. You've still got to have some people on the bench, Guy. Yeah, fair enough. That's fine. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, podcast, it's, before we get to the, the match predictions, anyone take me on this? Is uh, Sadio Mane going to get his 100th Liverpool goal in this game? It's Palace, well, yes. If he scores, he'll have scored in nine consecutive games against them. Which I is thought you were going to say, if he record. scores, he, he gets 100 goals for Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, it will be. I know, yes. um, I said it. Was it 12 career goals he's got against them? Something ridiculous like that. Best of his career. What about what about reaching the Premier League 100 club? Then he's three off that. He won't do that tomorrow. He's not doing that. I'm just asking. Right, we could do that against uh, maybe Man City. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Winner against Man City. Let's keep picking on guy. Right. Anyway, we've only got a few (laughs) seconds left now. Let's let's do our match (laughs) for. Let's keep it going. Let's just keep it going for it. Let's keep going. Yeah. Gorsi, you've been kind today. You can go first. I'm always kind. Um, Nice and steady. Two nil. Two nil, Theo. 3-1 3-1 3-1 And Doily? Another intensely annoying 2-1 win for Liverpool Why is that intensely annoying? Because we won't be able to write our stuff until right at the end Because they'll yeah. just, it'll be in the balance And you'll never be able to commit properly to it But at least it's a 3 o'clock kick-up on a Saturday Which is a rarity And we, we should welcome and embrace that Because the TV blackout as well will mean those inside the ground will really enjoy it Obviously exactly. we sat the last a week nice, a nice Completely with moment. you guys yeah. A nice special so if, moment um, for the people of the stadium. Canate starts. It's this big hype. Oh, you get to see Liverpool's new signing. It's not quite the same as uh, United's new signing making his first start at three o'clock, is it? Who, who did you... they sign? Yeah, who, who they got? Okay. The guy um, just scores from two yards out and the keeper just drops him in any, that one. Yeah. Not seen any <laughs> announcements. They must have been saying that. times on their social media feed, honestly. <laughs> Right, anyway, that's Theo Band for Monday's podcast for mentioning Manchester United. That's it from us here. He never mentioned them. He never mentioned them. I I think he did. Okay, sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He didn't mention the signing, but he mentioned the signing. about me as well, Ben. If I say Manchester United, Manchester United. (laughs) (laughs) Three times, don't you? (laughs) I said said it in actually saying that he's banned. Anyway, that's all we've time for as we ramble on to the end. From myself, Guy Clark, Paul Gore, Stephen Doyle and Theo Squires, thanks for joining us. We'll see you Monday. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.